TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. What is new and what is next in St. Louis? That's the point of this show, Nothing Impossible. I'm Michael Calhoun along with... Along with Travis Sheridan, what is new? What is next? Will we ever answer that question? I guess we answer it a little bit each and every week. Well, we answer it, but then something new and next comes up afterwards. Things are constantly evolving. It means the show can just keep going and keep going as long as new and next keep happening. And you know what's going to keep that new and next coming to St. Louis? Arch Grants draws so many people to St. Louis. In fact, they have given out 173 Arch Grants to uh, 173 companies, $9 million total over the last uh, nine years. Yeah, I can't believe it's been nine years, and they're still going, new and next. Yeah, well, there was some, uh, there's been some talk over the years about their funding. Some of it comes from the state. They solicit private donations. Will Arch Grants have enough money to keep up its work? Well, we have that answer now. They've got a, a fundraising blitz where they've brought in $21.5 million. So the coffers are full at Arch Grants, and that means they plan to boost the cash that they hand out to startups to move to St. Louis. So Executive Director Emily Loge bush Sustained impact campaign that we announced today um, and announced our $21.5 million milestone uh, that we've just reached um, will be absolutely transformational in terms of the long-term financial sustainability of ARCH grants. But more so than the financial sustainability of our organization, um, we are really focused on what our long-term impact can be. So the the naming of the campaign, the sustained impact campaign, was quite intentional. Uh, For us, we want to exist and continue to grow as long as we are moving the needle for St. Louis. And I believe wholeheartedly, as does the board and as does the team, um, that this campaign, this milestone that we've hit, will not only ensure that we can continue to do this work forever um, in this region for as long as we're needed and for, um, for entrepreneurs as they continue to uh, have interest in coming to St. Louis and staying in St. Louis and growing, but the... The announcement of this in and of itself also um, is part of what will continue to fuel the interest in the growing ecosystem here. Um, With a campaign like this, with a commitment like this, entrepreneurs from around the world know that St. Louis is in this for the long term. This isn't a passing fad here. We're going to continue to invest 
in bringing a pipeline of talented, extraordinary entrepreneurs into this region um, in perpetuity. And so if you want to come here and bring your company here um, and, uh, and grow, whether you receive an ARCH grant or not, you can be assured that you're going to be part of an ecosystem that is already fairly robust and is only going to continue to grow. And I asked Emily to remind us what the Growth Grants program is. A lot of this new fundraising is going to support grants. Arch Grants is known for giving first grants, but now there's going to be a second check potentially. So the Growth Grants program is a new program that we announced late last year which is in essence a follow-on grant program for companies that have received an ARCH grant and have completed their program year and are growing and scaling in St. Louis. Um, Growth grants are non-dilutive grants that companies can apply for. Uh, They can be up to $100,000 and um, they are meant for companies that are looking to meet a milestone that are potentially raising a round of funding and um, that can use this non-dilutive grant to go out to investors or to go out to um, different groups and make the case that um, they have this funding and will, with with the help of, of other investors and others who are also believing in, in what they have the potential to do, they'll be able to meet that milestone. So um, again, we aren't taking equity in growth grants as we don't take equity with our ARCH grants because for us, the return on investment is when our companies um, invest back into this region and grow and hire and um, rent space and buy space. Um, and then hopefully at some point when they're able to, begin to give back to the community, whether it's to pay it forward through ARCH grants or to uh, give back in other ways to the community. So um, our growth grants program is really just the next logical step as we think about helping companies to not only start here in St. Louis, but to continue to grow and scale here and um, to do that effectively and, and knowing that the entire community is behind them. Stay tuned. Coming up next, we're going to profile a St. Louis startup. Are they still a startup? They've been growing fast. It's no ink in the election space. Up next on Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome back. Michael and Travis are with you and a fast-growing St. Louis company in a fast-growing industry. A lot of people are paying attention to election management these days. And we've got a company here called No Inc., whose election technology was used in nearly a third of the counties in the country last year. I believe I used it when I went to go vote. We welcome in Scott Leindecker from No Inc. Hey, how's it going, Scott? Going great. I appreciate the time today. So, Scott, catch us up, first of all, uh, you know, set the stage. What is No Inc.? Like Michael said, you know, he interacted with it when he went to vote. Uh, Most of our listeners have probably interacted with it. What is it? And then how... What's been what's happened over the last few years, especially with this recent election? Sure. Um, well, you know, if you uh, most most people showed up at the polls in November, um, it, it, it looks like, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, 160 million voters, you know, um, at the polls, you know, like you were saying, a number of those, especially in the St. Louis metro area, you know, would have checked in on our device called PollPad which is a, uh, it's basically an iPad, and now instead of using paper, and I think 
you know, over the past, you know, 10 years, most of Missouri and most of, you know, the metro area uses this type of technology to check in. So they scan your driver's license, which has a barcode on it. Um, it activates your record. It acknowledges who you are, and then you sign um, on the tablet, and then that allows you to be able to go and be processed. So it's, it's verifying who you are, making sure you're in the right location so that you can be allowed to vote. Scott, what's the latest with it? How, how did it go this last election? It went really well. Um, you know, with everything that was uh, that was going on, you know, obviously, you know, the first thing that was, you know, number one concern on our list was security, because over the past, you know, four years after the last presidential election, we heard a lot about, you know, uh, Russian hacking and the security that our election infrastructure needed to be. So we did a tremendous amount of investment into the infrastructure, worked with Homeland Security, worked with CISA um, to make sure they went basically line by line of our code to make sure that everything was uh, was uh, done properly and we got a, a clean bill of health there. So that was the first thing that we did. And then obviously the pandemic hit. And so then we had, uh, you know, all over the country, people had to really rethink how, you know, voting was going to look. And we played a, a very large role in a lot of areas, you know, um, doing vote centers, early vote models, spreading out, um, you know, uh, polling locations all over the country so that people could, you know, social distance, basically, you know, their ways to their way to voting. So uh, we learned a lot about, you know, um, uh, the um, the flexibility and the um, uh, how our product can can help in, in a pandemic. And it worked out extremely well, you know, in 2020. Um, all over the country. I'd like to uh, ask a little bit more about the security aspect, just because so many people have questions about that. Uh, and when it comes sure. to no ink, if if I remember correctly, it's uh, the process, the the part of the process of voting, uh, where you go to check in, and it interfaces with voter registration records. And, uh, you know, counties across the country are responsible. States and counties are responsible for elections. Some of them might be better at cybersecurity, more astute at it than others. Uh, and uh, some of the stories that we had heard leading up to the election when it came to cybersecurity were about vulnerabilities of those databases. So can you just take mm -hmm. us inside a little bit more how No Ink and Polpad and your other products, um, you know, what you've done to make sure that those are secure. And if you had any concerns from any of those local authorities or if they really relied on you to bring the expertise uh, to them. Well, it's, it's a partnership, you know, at the end of the day. And the federal government got involved, you know, especially this last uh, the last four years to help, you know, secure um, and work with the vendors, you know, that are out there, not just us, but others um, to make sure that everybody was doing things, you know, the right way. And like I said, we, we probably went through more than we needed to do, um, you know, at the end of the day. But a lot of things that we do on the front end, you know, uh, allow us to be very secure. That's why, you know, we use an Apple iPad. A lot of the security of an iPad is baked in, you know, to their iOS operate, operating system. So that's one of the reasons why we chose that platform was because of the security. Not always, you know, Apple is not always, you know, the choice of government, but we went that direction day one because we felt security was very important um, to the to the process and, and for our product at the end of the day. Um, but that's one thing that we did. Um, obviously, you know, the baked-in security, all of our pin testing that we did working with CISA, 
Um, one thing with our product that you should know, we are not connected to the voter registration. All of our di- data resides um, on the, the, the tablet itself, on PollPad. So there's no, you know, concern about, you know, uh, unless they're connected, which they can be connected um, in a vote center, center scenario or early voting, you have to have a connected poll pad, you know, out in the field because you have to share that information from location to location. But it's not going back to the central, you know, uh, voter registration system. Um, and if you notice, like in St. Louis County, where you voted on Election Day um, as well, you know, Eric Fay has done uh, and Rick Stream have done an outstanding job in St. Louis County, um, allowing voters to go to any location. Um, and I think voters caught on to that, you know, closer to the election. I think Post-Dispatch mentioned that. But they were able to do that because of the poll pad, because of that technology. So you're not, you know, um, hindered to your location in St. Louis any longer. You could go to, you know, if you were downtown and noticed there was a polling location, you could pull. Well, I guess not downtown because that's a different jurisdiction. Not a good good example. But anywhere <laughs> downtown Clayton. In, in downtown Clayton, I should say, in St. Louis County, you could vote at your location that you were designated to or you could vote at any other location, you know, that you might run into on your way home to work. And that goes to the credit of, of Eric Fay and, and uh, Rick Stream uh, for their uh, forward thinking, you know, in the process. But security plays a, a very large role in making sure that all the data is encrypted, you know, in rest and in transit and things like that. And then all the pen testing and tests that we go through, um, we go through it almost on a, on a weekly uh, basis now um, because we have elections going on all over the country, you know, still today. You mentioned forward thinking and forward looking. Uh, let's look back a little bit for a moment. Tell us about the origins of PollPad. If I was trying to do the math in my head, I'm guessing y'all are about five to seven years old now. Uh, confirm that not. or correct that. Uh, and then what's yeah, the well, growth been like? Uh, we're, we're actually nine years old, surprisingly nine. enough. Okay. Wow. Um, I think we started in 2011. I think it was our ninth uh, birthday or anniversary in last uh, December or this past December. And um, uh, it, growth has been great. You know, even last year where we didn't expect, you know, uh, a lot of business. You know, we, uh, we enrolled another 250 jurisdictions. Um, currently, we're in 28 states. People in L.A. County, New York City, Atlanta, St. Louis, Minneapolis, uh, Washington, D.C., all use, you know, the product. Uh, We have 90,000 units. We're closing in on 100, you know, thousand units in the next couple months that are deployed out in the field. Um, So, you know, we've been um, growing at a a really great rate where we hired, I think we're, we're at about a little over 100 you know, full-time employees that are mostly based in St. Louis, but some are spread out depending on, you know, the jurisdiction and what area they may support. So, you know, growth, we've been, you know, continuing to grow. We've, you know, recently, just this past year, you know, we're awarded uh, the fastest growing business number one in in St. Louis, um, uh, according to the Business Journal. So that was really exciting news. We've been on the list, you know, for about three or four you know, years in a row and, and to be named number one this year was, you know, really, you know, caught us off guard and, and we were really, you know, very pleased, you know, about that. So we've been, you know, we've been growing and we continue to grow. I mean, we're, you know, excited about, you know, the, the future and, and uh, everything that we have, you know, in front of us. 
Yeah, Scott, as you talk about fast growing, you've just made an acquisition, a company called B Pro that was based in Fort Pierre, South Dakota, an election management provider. Where where does this fit into the products that you already have? Is this more of a, a horizontal or a vertical integration? Well, you know, it's um, they, they do something different than we do. And, and one of the things that you talked about earlier was uh, – was uh, voter registration, and that's one of the things that you you hear you heard a lot about in not this election, but the past you know presidential election that you know uh, they you know some some states were a little bit more vulnerable depending on the systems that they were on. Um, BPro is one of those uh, businesses that uh, works in voter registration. They're a fairly, I would say, a younger um, organization. Have a lot of synergy with us, um, kind of the same you know, thought processes, and, and we feel, um, you know, that they've been, uh, I would say, forward thinking like we have been uh, with regards to voting and, um, and uh, voting architecture and things like that. So, um, you know, this past year, we started a conversation. We've known them for, you know, obviously, you know, uh, years because of uh, being a vendor in the industry. And, you know, uh, we think that we can help improve the, uh, the voter registration side like we have done on the check-in side. Um, and I think together we feel very, um, we feel very good about the, 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 the team, uh, you know, coming together and working towards that goal. So we, uh, we got into, you know, talks probably right before November. We ended those talks and uh, decided to, you know, basically acquire and partner, um, you know, at the end of December and have been working together over the past couple months and have been starting to dive into how they do things. They've been diving into how we do things. And it's been a very exciting partnership, you know, uh, so far. And we're really excited about the potential of voter registration and what we might be able to do um, to improve that process and, and make it, you know, easier, more secure and accessible. That's great. You know, being a fast-growing company, and I know that you and I have had some some great conversations offline. I still remember our early conversations when you were out at the incubator in Lima, and it was a two-person shop uh, doing a lot of assembly and uh, creation by hand. But as you've grown the company, have you has knowing taken on outside investment uh, to grow, or has it really been grown organically? We we recently uh, partnered with uh, Rick Holton and. Um, uh, I think uh, we, we just did that at towards the end of the year um, to help us, you know, kind of scale the business, you know, and give us some some advice on how to, uh, you know, grow the business, you know, with acquisitions. We feel that we've done a really great job, you know, bootstrapping the business over the past, you know, uh, nine years, you know, running it very organically with, with really zero investment other than Arch Grant, um, which has always been a great partner, you know, for us and, and others. Um but, you know, that was the only, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, investment that we received up until this point. And we brought Rick in to help us, uh, you know, understand, you know, now, you know, it, we're no longer, you know, a lot of people tell me we're no longer really a startup. And no, I like to at, still think that years. way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I still like to think that way. And so the, we, we brought Rick and, and some of his team in to help us you know, make it look more like a business, you know, at the end of the day. And so we're, we're looking forward to that as well. And also to getting their advice on more acquisitions, you know, and to, to grow that way as well.
Scott, we just had the great story of varsity tutors and nerdy going public. St. Louis area's first uh, tech unicorn that's uh, based here. Uh, when you look forward, maybe you know a few uh, years or several years, what what is your eventual goal? What do you what do you see? No ink. Do you see an IPO? Do you see some sort of an exit? You've been doing acquisitions, so you've been exiting other companies. But what do you see long term for No Ink? Uh, you know, um, that's one of the things that we've been really trying to, you know, figure out, you know, this past year when, when looking at, you know, uh, Rick Holton to come in and things, you know, there was a, there was a, there was a moment where, you know, I kind of thought we're, we're at a crossroads here and do we, do we kind of start settling back because we've developed a good business and we can kind of stay where we, we want to be, or do we want to, you know, hit the accelerator and try to see what we can make this. And, and, you know, I chose, you know, the accelerator um, to see if we can, you know, do something even more so, because, you know, when you look at voting and you look at things, obviously this election, it was a, was a, overall, it was a really great, well-run election. I can say that, you know, from being, you know, out there firsthand, but obviously there was a lot of stuff after the fact that, that came out that, that people are, you know, pointing fingers and things like that. Um, there's a lot of improvement that needs to happen, and we want to stay committed to that, um, be part of the conversation and be part of the solution, you know, moving forward um, with that. So, you know, I don't know where we would go. We're just kind of, you know, continuing to do what we think is the right thing for No Inc. I don't know if that will be an IPO one day or, or not, um, but we feel really great about where we are right now and how we want to kind of expand. Uh, and, Scott, you're in downtown West correct you're getting a new neighbor yeah you know again very excited about this uh i'm watching you know from my uh my conference room right now this very large crane moving you know um moving beams back and forth is pretty exciting to watch especially you know in today's world where there's not much to really watch on tv this is this is more entertaining uh for me to do but yeah, we're really excited about you know the msl stadium coming in next door um it's going to be great you know, for downtown, I'm a huge soccer fan, so so I can't wait, you know, to uh, to uh, participate and go to the games and, and see all the excitement. But it's it's really great to see, you know, what's happening, you know, in downtown West. So a lot of excitement. You know, there's been some developers coming in, um, looking at things. We're hoping we're going to get more restaurants in around here. I think that that's, you know, going to be something that needs to take place, especially with uh, with the stadium and then with the um, uh with the uh what is it the um the 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 space building the the um uh, geospatial yeah that that coming in as well so you know there's going to be a lot of movement you know uh over the next couple of years you know in downtown west so we're excited to be part of it um we're looking at expanding our our business as well and in, into other areas down here um so it's it's very exciting times uh down in downtown st louis great uh, well, Scott, thanks for joining us. It was always good to catch up and continued success for you and the team at No Inc. I look forward to talking to you again in the future, Travis. And we'll be back with more Nothing Impossible right after this on KMOX. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Welcome back, Michael and Travis, with you. And when it comes to 
electric charging. There's something big brewing in the St. Louis area uh, that'll allow people who've got electric vehicles to get them charged up easier. And we're joined right now by Dr. Linda Little, who's the assistant director of the IBEW and NECA Electrical Industry Training Center. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Little. Well, thank you for having me. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what's on the horizon? Well, a lot of things. Uh, I'm sure you've heard about that all of the GM's announcement that they're going to transition over to emissions-free vehicles. Um, the city of St. Louis has recently passed uh, electric vehicle readiness ordinance. So any new buildings that are built are going to be uh, have a designated number of spaces that have to have electric charging or be ready to have electric charging, and that's going to include uh, commercial buildings as well as residences. So the charging stations are going to become more popular. The vehicles are going to become more readily available. That means the price is going to come down. That means we're going to have a lot of jobs. That means we're going to have cleaner air in the city. And so can you tell us what, what this uh, ordinance, a little bit more detail on what it applies to? Uh, you mentioned future projects of different types. Right. So, for example, a multifamily dwelling would have to have at least 20% of the spaces EV ready, which means that there's adequate capacity at the panel and the conduit and wiring are provided, and then it may just go to a junction box, but no actual charger exists. But then they would have to have 2% of all the spaces have actually the charger existing and installed and ready to go. Uh, for commercial buildings, 10% of spaces are going to have to be EV ready. And again, 2% of spaces have the chargers installed. So when buildings are designed, they're going to be designed with this concept for the future already in place. So we're planning ahead. Um, the mayor has passed an ambitious initiative to have 100% reduction in greenhouse gases by the year 2050. And so this is a step forward to making that happen. So with any new policy change, there's going to be a contingent of people that see it as being restrictive and not business friendly. There'll be others that see it as being uh, very forward thinking and, and good for the environment. What kind of reception has this policy gotten just as, as you've been had your ear to the ground? I have heard no negative impacts. Uh, I think that partially it's because the utilities in our area have gotten on board and they're offering incentives to bring the price down for this. Also, if you do the research, you'll see that uh, if you do this up front when the building's being constructed, it's so much cheaper than if you have to come back and add it later. We're talking with Dr. Linda Little, who is the assistant director of the Electrical Industry Training Center, IBEW, and NECA. And uh, you talk about the utilities. Certainly there's been a lot of attention on those uh, in, in different parts of the country with electrical grid issues. Uh, but in the St. Louis area, we've not had any kind of blackouts. The cold has not caused the power to go out here. Ameren has said they don't expect that to happen in our region. Uh, and Ameren is behind this push, right? It's not as if... Um, we're putting in all of these chargers, and Ameren is saying, no, we're not ready. Ameren is, is not only fully on board, they're, they're helping to push us forward. 
Yes, they are. So the long-term plan is going to involve a lot of things besides just EV charging, but one of the plans is to try to come up with cleaner energy solutions. And, you know, every facility, whether it's coal burning or not, has a lifespan. And so going forward, what we will do is look at that lifespan, and when it's time for end of life for that, to tr- then to transition over to a cleaner alternative. So Ameren is, is behind this. The utilities are behind this. They're able to produce the clean energy, and it, it's not like it has to happen in a real costly manner. It's kind of, you know, the goal is 2050. That gives them 30 years. So as equipment, you know, starts to fail and needs to be replaced, we're just going to replace it with a, a, a better solution. It seems like ages ago that uh, everybody was excited about the first Tesla coming off the line, uh, and Elon Musk has made really strong claims about getting the price point down to $25,000 or less uh, so that these, these vehicles become much more accessible. What, what innovation do you think is going to come out of this, this push toward clean and renewable and really becoming more energy independent? There is going to be a lot of there a lot first of all a lot more people are going to get electric cars because there're going to be a lot of new designs and they're going to be interesting and fun to drive and then because of that people are going to be able to uh use that electric vehicle along with other energy storage and maybe have alternate you know backup plans for their house uh there's a uh, initiative to kind of consider using your battery powered vehicle as a backup supply system in the case of an emergency. So it would mean that, you know, that less pressure on the grid. It's interesting you say that. I saw a, a news story this morning that there are folks in Texas using the their electrical capacity of their F, their Ford F-150s to, to power their homes in, in the midst of this crisis. Right. So wouldn't that be nice to know that if something accidentally happened like that, you weren't going to lose your freezer full of food? So the vehicles have been changing, and because they have these batteries, now they're going to have this other capability, and it'll really benefit us in multiple ways that are kind of not really thought about on a daily basis. But plus only that, it's a lot cheaper to drive. People are going to have to really come around to a way of thinking. Uh, our lifestyle now where you pop into the gas station, it takes, you know, five minutes and you're out and you're on your way. It's going to be a real change for people to get used to the fact that it does take a little bit longer to charge. But I think we'll, we can adapt. We can do this. Dr. Little, as you're at the IBEW and NECA Electrical Industry Training Center, what are the new jobs that are going to come out of this? And, um, you know, if somebody gets trained up to deal with uh, electric vehicle charging stations, could that uh, skill cross over to if people get uh, power walls and home batteries from Tesla in addition to the car? You know, what are the jobs? What are the skills? What's coming forward in terms of the economy? Oh, a lot of things there as well. Because, uh, well, the jobs are all – the jobs are going to involve not only the electricity for the EV charging, but also a lot of people will maybe decide to go ahead and supplement by using other forms of alternative energy. Solar panels, for example, are wind. The prices on those have come way down from the initial conception, and even though you may not – be able to power your whole home off of it, it it 
more people will be willing to consider that as an, an alternative. So the workforce is going to have to learn how to implement all these things and kind of tie them together and then use more of a smart home technology where the, the instruments or the devices can talk to each other and see what's, what's going on. Um, I think the utility is going to look at more of the smart metering so that if there are grid issues that they can export power from some of these batteries that are plugged in and charging when needed or in case of emergencies. So it's really going to change the whole way we look at things. What are some of the, if somebody's looking for a change of career right now, and a lot of people are given the pandemic and the economic upheaval over the last year, uh, where can people go to get more information about the IBEW NECA Electrical Industry Training Center? And what are the different opportunities that are available at the training center right now? Anybody can apply to our training center to become an apprentice and go through a formal training program. Um, All they have to do is contact us at uh, St. Louis Electrical JTC. Um, It's at on Hampton Avenue, and they'll give them information about applying. If you become an apprentice in the electrical industry, there are so many different opportunities in terms of uh, careers paths. You can work as a construction electrician, and over the years, as you specialize, you can specialize in, you know, alternative energies. You can specialize in. Uh, Infrared testing, high voltage, there's all different aspects of the industry that you could specialize in to whatever suits your desire, whatever you find the most interesting. Uh, application is, window is open. Uh, right now we're accepting applications. It is kind of a long process to get through the application process. Uh, the only requirement is algebra and geometry. Um, high school algebra, high school geometry, and you come down and you apply, and then you'll get interviewed and you go through the whole process, and you can come down and see what there's uh, opportunities as communication workers doing low voltage. There's opportunities installing fire alarm systems, security systems, all kind of systems. Well, there's a reason I work with words and not numbers. <laughs> you had me until the <laughs> until those math classes there, me personally. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are just general Missouri State required high school classes anyway, so it's nothing extraordinary. But there is a little bit of math involved in Mm. being an electrician, so you have to have some math. Certainly. Well, Dr. Linda Little, thank you so much for all the great information on the show today. We appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. Dr. Linda Little is the Assistant Director of the Electrical Industry Training Center, IBEW and NECA, joining us on Nothing Impossible to charge us up for the future of cars. And coming up next, we're going to continue Nothing Impossible, a project of Travis Sheridan. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Nothing Impossible on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX. Each week for three weeks, uh, I'm doing a, interviewing a different, uh, I guess, talented person from the region. Uh, the first one was art and activism. Uh, and I interviewed uh, Dee Nichols. Uh, and then most recently, I got to sit down with Darren Jackson from All Black Creatives. We've had Darren on the show a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, and as part of this series, uh, I looked at not just uh, art and activism the previous week, but this was another sector. Uh, with Darren, we talked about art and the economy and the power of independence. And so there's a couple of, uh, I think, 
key points that would really fit with the, the show we do here. I started by asking Darren, you know, some challenges that corporations face as they try to build out a diverse workforce. So to answer your question, is it intentional? Is it ignorant? Um, I would say um, that it's it's like intentionally ignorant because that's what's safe. <laughs> and, okay, ignorant, like, and ignorantly intentional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, I mean, it was just like, I think, no, seriously, I think it's like intentionally ignorant. It's like, we know that more exists, right? They know yeah. that more exists, but if they only focus on th on the spaces where they've sourced talent, knowing that it's minimal, where they can find talent or where they can find yeah. partners or, or, or agencies or whatever, then they can they can plead to everyone that 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 it's ignorance that they weren't able to access this talent. When in reality, it was just like, but it's intentional that you went through these same pipelines or these same funnels to find this talent, knowing that this talent has never been for people of color in general. And so yeah. and mainly it was built to support white men to be able to come into this space, literally. And so mm -hmm. we've we've been able to meet with some of the top executives um, in, in, in across multiple companies, both black and white. And a lot, even the, the, the black executives are like, yo, if you could imagine it, uh, the, you would not imagine, uh, the amount of hoops that we had to hop through to be able to get to the spaces where we could prove that we have value. And it felt like this, like, like you had to almost like leave a part of yourself behind in order to move ahead. And, um, and so, you know, these industries have really created these like spaces where they say like, here's what, um, here's what we accept as like normal or like we used to see is all the time is like culture fits. And yeah. so what we have to do is like help companies to like re the companies that are interested, obviously they have to read, be willing to redefine their culture. It's that internal work that they have to be willing to do that. A lot of them just, haven't ever done before. And that isn't because they didn't know it was a problem, right? It was that they were in, literally, they were intentionally ignorant. They were like, well, we tried, but we didn't, you know, but we didn't know how to do it. And it was like, you haven't really tried. Like you haven't done the work internally. You just want everything to come to you. You thought, cause you were a dope company that mm -hmm. people will come to you. And another one of the challenges we see is like values alignment, just because you're, you pay like, Deloitte released a stat, I think it was in 2019, that 61% of millennials wouldn't even consider working for a company if they didn't have a social commitment to the community, to the environment yeah. or something, right? And so like black, actually black millennials are way like statistically way more socially conscious whenever they're making these decisions than others. We're like, oh, I'm not gonna work with them. They like, you know, have done other people wrong or they're doing, you know, communities wrong. And so like, you know, some of these things, you know, on both sides um, are relevant. And the goal isn't to get us, you know, our community to become uh, less aware or less conscious or less selective, but it's really to get these companies to do some more internal work before they commit to saying, hey, like we're, you know, we're trying to source all these sounds. Like, are you even a place our community would want to work is the question, you know? And yeah. so, um, and so really it's this, uh, there's a lot of challenges from the top to the bottom 
Um, you know, when it comes to freelancers, most companies get freelancers based off of their employees recommending their friends. So if you're in the tech industry or in the advertising industry where 95% of your people or more are white and male, then imagine who their friends are, who they're inviting to dinner and all these things. So it's like, they're yeah. not inviting, they don't have any black friends. We literally have just told a few different tech companies, like, seems like part of your issue is like your employees are encouraged to have black friends and you guys don't have any relationships <laughs> with the black community. <laughs> It was it was interesting that, you know, he said a lot of it has to do with not just culture fit, but that the, you know, these corporations, they generally return to the same well, thinking they're going to get the, a different batch of candidates. And so a lot of it is looking at different pathways in which to find these candidates. Uh, the other part of our conversation really focused on what it might take to build uh, the black middle class. And as we know, historically, the black community has uh, not had the same levels of generational wealth to be transferred. Often this comes from, you know, not having the equity in a home to transfer to the next generation or businesses to transfer to the next generation. And so I asked Darren what it might take to build or strengthen the black middle class and build that wealth among the black community. It's really going to take us working together as a collective. Um, and that says way more to these industries that like, yo, it's not just us. It's, a, yeah. we're, 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 it's not just us who showed up to the table. This is a collective showing up to the table. And that really, um, you know, it both, it both helps them to be aware, but it also really, really helps them to like, um, to, to, to see the value of what we're doing at a whole different level. And so like, so it adds credibility to what we're doing. Um, and so I think as we look at building wealth, we need to understand our value and then we need to leverage our value to be able to create wealth as a collective and see this as a collective um, aspiration versus just as an individualistic aspiration. It just doesn't work as individualistic. We've seen yeah. it happen. There's enough individuals who've gone in, built wealth, and they can keep you know their tabs on those people. But if we come in as like more of like as a community um, effort, I think it really is um, both disruptive and more effective. So yeah, there we go. That was a couple of good conversations I had with uh, Darren Jackson. Next week, I'm interviewing city treasurer and mayoral candidate uh, Tashara Jones, as we're going to discuss art and policy and uh, look at the power of leadership. But you know, for our listeners, head on out to the On Guard Arts Hotel. They actually are doing great social dif distanced and private tours uh, of the exhibits. And uh, my, my exhibit, Imperfect Pixels, will be up through the end of February. Well, you can watch that. You can listen to the podcast. All sorts of options to find out about what's happening in St. Louis to move the region forward. I'm Michael. He's Travis. And we'll talk to you again next week. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my word. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at tmobile.com slash across America. 
Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device. Credit service ported. 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.